Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk and our limited series on cocktail modifiers. Alkademics.com defines a cocktail modifier as a cocktail ingredient, usually alcoholic and typically fortified wine or a liqueur, that both softens the base spirit and adds flavor to the drink. In this series, we'll talk to the experts, bar professionals, and regular folks like us to better understand what modifiers are and how to use them. Next up, Creme de Violette. Hi, everyone. I'm Jake Parrott. I'm the portfolio manager for spirits and aromatized wines for House Alpens, which is a U.S. national importer of interesting wines, spirits, liqueurs, cordials, etc. So, Jake, thanks for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. What can you tell us about Creme de Violet? How is it developed? How is it made? What's the history? I think we'll start with the history. Um, uh, Creme de Violette as a category comes from what I, I, I kind of call it the Baroque era of cocktails. It's it's the last real evolution in cocktails before U.S. Prohibition. And it's the time when cocktails start to incorporate more and more kind of out there ingredients. This is where you start getting the drinks that call for Fernet and Kummel and Swedish Punch. And a Creme de Violette sort of works in that world. The, the flavor was well known at the time from candies. And so, like a lot of other candy flavors, it wasn't that big a jump to to make uh, to make it into a a liqueur as well. Of course, the color, um, which at that time came from something else that was quite bitter, but uh, now is 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 a flavorless color, uh, was a big part of that as well. And and you know the the aviation cocktail, which a lot of folks think of as the the main thing you use uh, creme de violette for. Uh, is named for its color and comes from a time before the Wright brothers. So it, it's a it's a sort of a little bit of a microcosm of the what people were doing with cocktails in that time in the in the very very early 1900s. Um, but the the flavor was well known, and and we can talk a little bit about the some of the technical characteristics of the flavor later if you like. Yeah. Um, it's made it pretty simply. The it's made at the uh, so Rothman and Winter Creme de Violette is what we're talking about here, which is one of the more well-known examples of the category here in the US, USA. It's made at the Perkhart Distillery in Steyr, Austria. Um, Perkhart has been is a fourth-generation distiller and liqueur maker, and it's Bernd and his father, Bernd Perkhart and his father that that do all the making, and they make all the the flavoring syrups as well. So uh, with Rothman Winter Creme de Violette, they first use uh, two or three types of Austrian violets to make a violet syrup, um, very concentrated in flavor, and then they combine it with clear unaged wine brandy, which brings, it's not completely neutral, it brings a little bit of aromatic heft and a little bit of texture, uh, and then sugar, uh, it's quite on the sweet side, uh, being a, a creme, uh, creme de Violette, that, that term is defined in European law uh, for a minimum level of sugar that's higher than a normal liqueur. Uh, but you need that sweetness, uh, both for the traditional uh, style, the, the style that would have been the case back in the, in the late 19th and early 20th century. But because even though, even though Creme de Violette ends up quite sweet, violets are quite bitter. So there, there is a, a necessity to, to balance that bitterness. Uh, and then it's colored with a, a flavorless color because the, you know, the, the main... Uh, reason people started using Creme de Violette in cocktails, uh, in addition to harkening back to a flavor they knew, was for the color. So, interesting. Mm. So, how how is it made exactly? 
it's it's a it's a compounded liqueur, much like many other compounded liqueurs, uh, in the Kochen uh, Siropa or the syrup kitchen uh, at the uh, at the distillery at Perkhart. Uh, the Perkharts make a violet syrup, uh, and then they add it to uh, add it at a measured dose to an unaged wine brandy, bring it down to bottling strength, which is twenty percent alcohol, uh, of course, and sweeten it. Uh, and add the color. Um, so it's it's a relatively simple process, except for making the syrup, which is, you know, does require some skill, uh, but they've been doing it for a long time. What other liqueurs, flavors do they make there? So uh, we're we're very fortunate to get to work with Distillery Perkhart for a lot of things. In the, in the line called Rothman and Winter, uh, there's the creme de violet, but then there's also five fruit liqueurs, apricot, pear, peach, cherry, and elderberry. And we're pretty careful not to refer to those as flavors per se. And the reason is because those fruit liqueurs are built from the ground up uh, to be from the fruit. So the base alcohol is, is not wine brandy. It's not neutral alcohol. It's distilled from the fruit. And the flavoring is the juice of the fruit. There's not going to be a Rothman and Winter, you know, pomplamousse because they don't distill grapefruits. Um, so, so what you get with that is you get a lot more aroma uh, in the in the finished liqueur, which is great when you dilute it. You can sense it in a cocktail, uh, but then you get the natural acidity and uh, grip of the fruit juice, and a little bit, especially in the case of things like peach and elderberry, a little bit of that natural bitter as well, which is really handy in a cocktail. Um, we also work uh, with Perkhart to. Uh, we buy their uh, recipe for Nusa Schnapps, or what you might know as Nocino or Walnut Liqueur, uh, their old family recipe for Nusa Schnapps. Uh, and they also are the folks that are responsible for making uh, St. Elizabeth Allspice Dram. When we wanted to bring Allspice Dram to America, there were no producers on the island of Jamaica that were making it in commercial quantities. So uh, we found an old recipe and we found the right ingredients and we took it to, to Herr Perkart. And he was more than happy to uh, to set up uh, what is pretty a pretty involved uh, process for making it. Um, they also do a bit of bottling for us at Perkhart, so they're a really wonderful partner and uh, and really great folks to work with. Small family company. That's awesome. Is creme de violet is it shelf stable or should it be kept in the fridge? So, so our our guidance on on keeping stuff in the fridge is generally if something is made with a fresh wine base then you should keep it in the fridge. Uh, the base of Rothman Winter Creme de Violette is a, is a distillate, a, a clear unaged wine brandy. So it's fine. It's, yeah, I would keep it out of, out of warmth and keep it out of direct light, just like you would virtually anything comestible. But, uh, but no, it is, it is to, to, the, to any extent that a naturally made liqueur could be shelf stable. And how awesome. old is this recipe? The recipe is well known at, at least back to the, the late 1800s, because it was it was a confectioner uh, flavor. So so violet syrup was well known um, as pretty much as soon as commercial commercial confectionery became a thing. So um, while Rothman and Winter Creme de Violette has been imported to the United States since about 2009, uh, the the method for making it is not unknown. So what else should we know? What else should our listeners know about Creme de Violet? So I, I think a lot of folks come to Creme de Violet by looking up a cocktail called the Aviation. For a lot of folks, it's kind of the first, not necessarily their first craft cocktail, but kind of the first one that sort of takes them on a, on a real voyage, voyage of discovery. 
Uh, what I would say is, is that there's a lot more things you could do with, with Roth and Winter Creme de Violette. In fact, uh, during, during COVID, we've heard a lot from, from retailers around the country who say that most folks who are buying Roth and Winter Creme de Violette are buying it to mix with vodka and lemonade, which is pretty darn delicious. So, you know, you know mm-hmm. kind of the same idea, maybe a little bit simpler as the aviation. The aviation is, if you can nail your construction of the aviation on any given day, it's an amazing cocktail, but it does, it does employ two of the more uh, difficult to work with sweeteners out there in terms of Creme de Violette and Maraschino liqueur. The, um, my personal favorite way to drink Ralph and Winter Creme de Violette is in sparkling wine. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the beauty of the, the intensity of Creme de Violette and the high aromatics of Creme de Violette is it can take a lot of dilution. And there's very few things that are more elegant or easy to make than, than, a, than a Violette Royale with uh, Roth and Winter Creme de Violette and sparkling wine. Um, you can use a lot of different sparkling wines. Even a, a slightly sweeter sparkling wine will work because, again, violets have that, that natural bitterness. Uh, but you could go all the way up to using a very nice champagne. One thing that I would say for that drink, though, is that drink is highly improved with a garnish of a grapefruit peel. And this is something that we find, um, this is a, a little mixology trick that we found as we work with a lot of bittersweet things, um, is that if you have something that's on the bitter side, uh, expressing grapefruit oil over the drink is going to change the way that you perceive that bitterness. Um, when you smell grapefruit oil, grapefruit oil is highly volatile and suggests bitterness to the brain. So when you smell that grapefruit oil, all of a sudden your brain is like, okay, that's all the bitter I want to taste right now. So it will, it, different neurons will fire and you'll taste more of the other flavors of the drink. It, it, the effect is remarkably similar to the use of salt in drinks, uh, except there's also an aromatic component to it. So highly recommend for, for any of those kind of simple violet drinks, whether it's a Violet Royale or um, maybe you put some Creme de Violette in a silver gin fizz, so a little egg white drink, that you use grapefruit peel uh, over the top to, to really bring the flavors into focus and not really think as much about the bitterness. Oh, wow. That's interesting. an interesting and fun tip. We're going to have to yeah. try that. And I love the idea of have, putting it in sparkling wine. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, and, and you know, I would give you a speck, but honestly, make it to the color you like. And you're probably going to like it. I mean, it, you know, and that's, that's very much a, a hearkening back to the real history of this stuff. It, is, it was as a visual part of, of a drinking environment, drinking experience, as well as, a, a, of course, the flavor and aroma. Well, Jake, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for this taking the time. This was wonderful and super informative. Yeah. Sure. Well, it's uh, we're, we're very fortunate to have uh, things that have uh, a lot of great both story, story, and technical story behind them. And now we'll hear from a professional bartender about how they use creme de violette in a cocktail. Welcome to the podcast, Kyle Strategier from the Soul Bar in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, thank Hi. you so much for having me. Um, I always love being able to talk spirits with you guys. Uh, so creme de violet's a really interesting uh, ingredient because uh, floral flavors don't really make their way into too many drinks. And uh, when you use them, you really have to um, respect the fact that they can overwhelm a cocktail really quick. Uh, so I think we're all familiar with certain drinks like Ramos Gin Fizz having uh, orange flower, you know, blossom flower uh, water in there, or if you have ever worked with uh, rose water before, then you kind of know that a little bit goes a long way. 
Right. So the same thing goes with uh, creme de violet, you know, when you're working with it, uh, especially when I think most of us have first seen it, we saw it in an aviation. Uh, in an aviation cocktail, uh, most of the time you've seen a picture where it's bright purple. Uh, so the first instinct was like, well, I followed the recipe. I've added this quarter of an ounce, but it's not that purple. And then you start adding more and eventually uh, it kind of tastes like you're drinking a bar. So uh, my first advice is always make sure that you ease up and um, approach it gently. Uh, most of the time that I make an aviation, I'm looking at a quarter of an ounce or less. Um, and that's really going to have the right taste. Now, if you're looking to have that um, perfect color that a lot of people are going for, uh, then think about using either like Empress Gin or you're going to find some type of Butterfly PT in order to get that purple, but don't do it with the creme de violet, <laughs> enjoy the flavor. Um, some of the other fun ways that we've been working with it lately is uh, we have it in a drink at Soul Bar uh, called the Saxon Violets. Uh, and it's a concept cocktail where we started with the idea and uh, luckily we were able to make it work out. So um, we really loved the uh, punk song, um, Sex and Violence. And we were like playing on words and we were like, well, I bet you dry sack sherry will go pretty good with creme de violet because you have the acidity and you have a lot of fun things going on in that sherry. Um, so then the challenge after that was, well, how do you balance floral flavors? And when you first look at it, um, you think about like sweet and sour. And obviously when you balance those in a drink, it's going to help balance other components around it. Uh, and then you think, well, you know, bitterness uh, can help balance just that sweet and sour combo. And one of the uh, best drinks that we were thinking about was the uh, Sharpie mustache um, from Amori Margo and thinking about like, how could we rework that cocktail? So we brought in um, the Bonal and we went with the cast strength uh, whiskey um, from Sagamore. They do a great job of having something that can really stand up to cocktails. And so the violet wasn't overpowering the drink. Um, and then we had the sherry to come through with the acidity component. And uh, Bonal, if you're not familiar with it, very bitter Amaro, um, you know, wine-based, a lot of, um, you know, deep flavor in there to give it a backbone. Um, and then coming through with a sweeter Amaro to kind of help balance that. Um, so a lot of components working together, uh, even before dialing in how much of the creme de violet is going to end up in the drink. Um, and I think we went with Gaffard, but it does make a difference which brand of violet liqueur that you're going with. Uh, again, most of them are going to be made in a very similar process uh, where what you're looking at is more of a perfume technique. Uh, you know, if you're familiar with how rose water is made, you have the flowers that are in a pot, uh, and then you are heating the water around it in order to take those oils um, and essences off of the flower. And then you're distilling it um, so that it uh, collects onto a pan above and then drops into a bowl inside of the same unit. So um, that's going to give you a lot of different flavors than your normal ideas of like infusions or extractions. And then because those uh, flavors are so pure, um, that's really what you're getting uh, when you're getting those flower-based liqueurs, uh, um, you know, or uh, waters. Uh, so, you know, when you think about it, you're dealing with a concentrate. Uh, you're dealing with something that's going to have uh, a lot of essence um, packed into it uh, versus, you know, like 
when you're working with yuzu or if you're working with different type of fruits uh, where you're working with the juices or you're maybe working with some of the peel, uh, those flavors are going to be a little bit more consumable. Um, and also people are used to those flavors in their everyday cuisine. Uh, when people are going to floral, uh, usually they're not going to uh, see that as much. Um, so those flavors are much more pronounced. One of the things that we also looked at was, um, you know, how do you make a better aviation or how do you work with Violet in ways that people haven't thought of? Um, and when we were looking at that, we were looking at like glossies from Mediterranean and Indian food where uh, they're using a lot of, you know, alternative milks or nuts and things in order to soften it. Yogurt uh, has a really nice um, sourness that can help balance out floral favors. And if you play with that in your cocktails, I think you'll find a lot more success uh, when you're incorporating in florals, um, thinking about how you're going to balance it and round it with a nutty texture. So use an orja or um, even just use an infusion or um, we've had a lot of success lately with uh, doing a wash with uh, sesame oil, um, which gets a really nice nuttiness. Um, so you can bring those elements in and uh, don't think about the um, floral thing as being a single note. I think in a lot of cocktails, they tend to go with just, you know, lemon juice and then the base spirit, and then they add the um, creme de violet or the other floral note. Um, for me, like that can be simple and pure, uh, but I think that most people that you're uh, serving your cocktails to, uh, that's gonna be so straightforward. Again, it's gonna be just like a one trick pony um, and it won't really work overall for something that people are gonna want again and again. Mm. So you said you mm. fat wash, do you fat wash the creme de violet? Uh, so in uh, that case, we're actually doing the fat wash on the base spirit okay, um, and then incorporating it in. Um, but you could do it the other way around if you're wanting to do like a milk punch or if you're uh, wanting to go with a fat wash of the whole cocktail. Uh, that can just be trickier because then you're playing with the dilution ratio uh, before freezing. Mm -hmm. Wow. So much <laughs> goes into creating cocktails. It just never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> <laughs> the creativity yep. is just amazing. But just at a basic level, Kyle, what color is my aviation supposed to be? Your aviation should be a light sky blue. Um, it should not be a deep purple. <laughs> <laughs> and there shouldn't be a bunch of purple in the bottom of my uh, cocktail glass. Yeah, the bottom of your martini glass. No, no one wants that uh, last big hit of creme de violet to punch them in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Because I've seen um, a lot of bartenders, they'll do that uh, where they pour it down the spoon so that it goes directly mm -hmm. to the bottom. And it looks pretty, but... Yeah, it doesn't taste so so yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we, we've all been guilty of it because, again, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of people look in the cocktail book and there's a lot of photographers that say, like, ooh, I, I'm not really capturing this because it's hard to capture that, like, really light, steely blue that you get. Um, from a quarter to less than a quarter of an ounce of creme de violet. Um, but that's the way the drink should look. And, you know, it won't look that great in a dark cocktail bar, uh, especially if you have like yellow lighting. Mm -hmm. It's not going to come out the way you think it is. You know, it looks good against the you know, white background with a lot of light. Um, that's something that we work on a lot at uh, OHLQ as well, um, is making sure that we're doing the drink justice. 
um, and saying, is this what the guest, you know, is going to make uh, when they follow this recipe, are they able to get this result? So sometimes we have to pull ourselves back from the theatrics of wanting to see that um, bright layer of purple or blue and uh, say like, that's not realistic. Let's make sure we represent the ingredients. Right. So for our listeners who don't know, OHLQ is the Ohio Liquor Control website. You can go to OHLQ.com and get cocktail ideas. And Kyle is the person who creates all of those cocktails, which is pretty cool. Thank you for oh, your yeah, service. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things where I feel so connected to uh, both the uh, like local community and the state. Um, and uh, seeing them wanting to do the right thing and the right search and do the research uh, just makes me so excited about the direction mm-hmm. that Ohio is going as far as spirits is concerned. We agree. Okay. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Well, you're at Soul Bar. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners what your hours are when we can find you there. So Soul Bar is open uh, seven days a week. Uh, we uh, usually open for a uh, light Amaro-based happy hour at three o'clock every day. And uh, the last call um, goes at 10.30 to 11 o'clock almost every night. Um, we like to get people to bed responsibly, uh, but it's a good time. We uh, have some wonderful events coming up here at the hotel, which you can always find on either our Instagram page uh, or at the website. Wonderful. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. And again, it's always wonderful to talk to you both. Same. Cheers. 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 Listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Seabus Craft Cocktail Tour. Visit our website at columbuscraftcocktailtour.com for cocktail tour dates, women and whiskey tastings, special events, merchandise. And if you're looking for a gift for that special person in your life, get them a gift card to our cocktail tour. Thank you to the biographer for our original music. And please remember to drink responsibly and be cocktail curious. Cheers. Cheers.